Welcome to Sonic Talk number 338. Good Lord. Um, apparently the numerology aspect of that, sent in by Derek Warren and Mark Tinley, who's not with us this week, uh, Rebirth's original software, 338. So there's the number that you've got that has something to do with um, what the hell we're talking about right now. Uh, I've got some guests, though. Let's probably get on to those. Um, first of all, we've got a new guest who I'd like to introduce. You may recognise him from... Uh, uh, he did a live blog for us, for us uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week. Uh, his name is Mr. Robbie Bronneman, uh, who I've misspelt his Twitter handle there. I'm terribly sorry, Robbie. Oh, what happened there then? Something played. Anyway, sorry. it doesn't matter. Robbie Bronneman, uh, you're there in Robot Studios, uh, and I must say you're outlighting even myself. Uh, um, you know, we try, we try our hardest. It's looking very, very lovely there. What's that going on in the corner behind you? Are those a load of launch pads kind of doing their thing, or is that some other kind of display? Yeah, it's, it's a load of launch pads set up in a kind of array that I'm working working on programming up for some shows I've got coming up. Are you going to face that towards the audience, or are you going to just play it? Is that all for they you? Are gonna be, yeah, they're going to they're going to be kind of head height behind me. Ah, what like have it? So you're going to be like the the drummer with two bass drums. They're like your gongs, the equivalent of having that, your gong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, 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 Howard's a little bit disappointed because I'm kind of outgunning him on the on the kind of flashing light stake. So. But, nice. Know. It's looking good, though. I like the look of that. Are you? Yeah. Gonna, are you? Gonna, you're not going to play them then necessarily so much. It's going to be more for. No, some of them. They can four. Four of the four in the middle are going to be configured to work Ableton, and the four on the outside are going to be in MIDI mode, so I can trigger clips, and also we can send patterns to them and stuff that co- coordinate with the lighting. That looks absolutely awesome. Robbie Bronneman, of course, if you didn't know already from the Day in the Life blog, uh, I guess musical and technical director for Howard Jones, who's touring, but also does a lot of uh, remix, writing, film work. You see he's got a rather tasty-looking modular there. I'm going to have to come and see you and uh, get some lighting tips because my place looks rubbish by comparison. And I've... (laughs) Well, anyway, I I won't say... Look, there's my lights in the background. They're, They're looking a bit feeble at the moment. I need to refocus them, but I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. But thanks for joining us, Robbie. And uh, we'll also, we're going to go to uh, Gaz Williams next. Gaz is looking looming large because he's on a new system. The camera's looking good. Is that your iPad Air by any chance, Gaz? Yep. And I blame Hans. Last week, I was uh, after Hans so ably demonstrated his new iPad Air. I had to, I rushed out as soon as the show finished and got and picked up one. Um, so yes thank you hans so for that you're using that with <laughs> uh, that looks like you've got uh apogee mic mic going into it and you're using the camera yep. that's right so i just wow. thought it to see how we get on uh so i can't quite get the angle right but um just you need to be a bit yeah. it just needs to be a slightly further away it looks like but that's yeah mm-hmm. i seem yeah. to just you've got one light going straight into the camera from yeah. behind that's guys. right yeah that's my Jesus light. You need a bigger, yeah, bigger, <laughs> a bigger track, <laughs> a bigger track. What am I talking about? A bigger something. Yeah, like it's looking uh, good though. The the video is yeah. very good quality. Is it actually better quality than we normally get from you for your wired <laughs> system? So impressive. <laughs> well, that's what I was trying to see. But I mean, to be honest, uh, what was interesting to me last week when uh, when Hans was talking about the iPad Air, I, I I was really intrigued to see just what kind of hoof it had in it. You know, what kind of power. 
and I've been running a bunch of tests on it. And so far, I'm actually quite impressed by just how much processing power is on this thing. Uh, so we're going to do a Sonic a Sonic Touch. Uh, so we'll explore that more then. So. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent. Well, thanks, Gaz. Gaz, course, professional bass player, technologist, and uh, uh, martyr to technology. On the but he does this all on your our behalf. So thank you very much, Gaz. Um, uh, also, well, you mentioned uh, Hans, who of course is non-Eric there from Musotalk.de, our kind of Hello. German language co- uh, opposite, I would say. You're are you do, are you sending your your we're coming through a, a webcam your end, are we? Yes, yes, yes. Ah, so you're sounding good though. What mic are you using? I'm using a Sennheiser Lavalier microphone. Lavalier. So we're getting a bit of a bit of chest. Hello. Ah, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of chest. <laughs> anyway, musotalk.de. Go, go. And on the subject of lighting, ah. I was at the, the Now Hotel in Germany last week on Tuesday, and uh, because there was a UND Heritage Tour, I think I talked about it. <laughs> now I remember. <laughs> he told me, studio gets booked sometimes solely on the, its capability of altering the color temperature in the room. So right. they, I think they have these, these, these special LED lights that can you know, be any kind of color temperature. Ah. So you can go from hectic white light to chill out warm 2600K. I've seen those uh, little sort of lights before. They, do, they are quite nice, actually. Very uh, luxe. So does that mean you're about to make a purchase? No, I have... Um, I've, I've, my wife gave uh, a smaller version of the Philips ones. That's just one that you can change the color temperature to my son. And he is absolutely not fond of it. And then I tried it here in my studio. And unfortunately, there's just not enough uh, light coming out of Ah, uh, yeah. Or, or, yeah. For anything. I mean, it might be okay for it in, in your living room, you know, as yeah. an additional light. But it's unusable for anything or, uh, ind- or indeed in your studio because that's what robbie's using there actually you'll be interested I've got yeah. five of them in my studio he's got five of them okay there you go but they're all kind of synchronized together in different groups so with five you do get enough light yeah it looks very nice is it the phillips robbie yeah it's phillips, phillips yeah the yeah. like round things yeah yeah right. yeah okay Nice. And finally, Mr. Dave Spears, who has had a bit of a hiatus from us, um, no doubt spent the rest of his time on eBay buying stuff. Uh, Dave Spears, of course, G4 Software makes the fine software instruments. Um, how's, your, how's your garden growing, Dave? Yeah, all right. I haven't been on eBay, but I did do some Vimeo hunting last week. That was quite entertaining. Uh, I think I you guys really, talked about it last week, didn't we? We did, yeah. Uh, uh, that, that, that was some beautiful stuff there. That, that uh, eight voice went for 20 grand, right? Yeah, plus the 10% buyer's premium. So we're talking about £22,000. Yeah, that's serious business. Best of, anyone want to buy an eight voice? <laughs> <laughs> but that one's got provenance as well, so it's worth even more, hopefully. Uh, well, yeah, I don't think it makes that much difference, to be honest. Well, anyway, because that one was Pete Numlux, wasn't it, on the Vimeo auction? Oh, I don't know. That, you you are exercising much more knowledge on the subject than I'm afraid I have for what, myself. Uh, what did you just say? Pete who? Numlux? Numlux. Oh, yes, yeah, an old friend of mine. Ah. Ah, okay. And uh, he did his first ever trance or techno record with me. Excellent. It sounds like... Oh, really? and, uh, unfortunately, he died last year. Ah. 
that sort of rather negates my next point, which is, but he's just sold a really expensive synth. Now might be a good idea to get uh, a drink out of him, but obviously that's I not going to happen. Probably his daughter. <laughs> okay. Selling them now. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, well, let's get on to our first subject. Um, I, I'm going to. I think we'll go for um, the the uh, this Vangelis one first because I think that's. Um, I don't know. I like the look of it, and it's got it's very synthy. This is um, a man playing one of the world's most desirable polyphonic synthesizers in a room where someone's hoovering by the sound of it. But he's demonstrating basically that all the presets on it are the ones that Vangelis used for most of his tracks, which I just think is awesome. It's such it goes so against everything. Here we go. I'll shut up now. This is John Evangelis. There's more. He plays a sort of medley of Evangelis hits. Like Captain Morgan, if you like, from Viz Comics, only more synthy. <laughs> That's a very UK centric joke there. <laughs> this is another one now uh, that. that... Oh, that's a good one. Oh. Well, these are just straight presets. And I think he plays. There's a bit of Blade Runner coming up. I'm going to play it all because just so you don't get the opportunity to hear a CS80 do stuff very often. Let's see what happens next. Is this the. Uh, let's see. He didn't play any um, ble- um, chariots of hire. Yes, he does. Oh, does he? Oh, sorry. I thought that'd be a great name for a taxi company, that. <laughs> oh, this is Blade Runner, isn't it? Oh, yeah, anyway, that's enough of that. That's very self-indulgent. But uh, that was uh, on Synthtopia. But he uploaded a couple of things. There is another video that he played, which I think is absolutely genius. But it does, and um, perhaps we can get onto that. But we were, I was talking uh, via email with Dave about this, and uh, it was interesting. I mean, those are obviously CS80. You know, Vangelis famously kind of was one of the earliest people to get hold of that and kind of grabbed the presets and made it his own. I'm it, Much in the same way as somebody like R. Kelly used the DX7 Rhodes and made it his own or whoever it was. Um, is there... It does rather sort of bust the myth, doesn't it? It doesn't... I, I suppose the thing is, is what's what makes the CS80 so unusual is even if you've, you want to use the presets, actually getting hold of one of the things is going to be your primary problem, right, Dave? Or even... Yeah, there you go, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the truth. Um, yes. I don't, I don't, yeah. Where, where do I even start on this subject? I, this is the synth, we've got a 60 and we've been after an 80 for quite a while, but I'm not, we're not paying completely absurd money. I did drive two and a half hours to a guy. In fact, I've made it back just in time for the podcast. I was a bit flustered because I've driven oh, two and a half hours, agreed the price and whatnot, and then said, okay, I'll go get the money and you write me a receipt. And he went, oh, now we've got a problem, oh, yeah. which kind of threw me. And if, that irritated me so much that I just kind of went, you know what? It's not like I need another synth right now. So I left and then it's kind of gnawed at me and there is one that we're sort of chasing. But what's really fascinating is that Kent Spong, who's KSR80 in the chat room when he's there. Composer of the uh, current theme tune, in fact, of Sonic Talk. Yeah, and he looks after all our gear and he um, he's just... 
he is Mr. CS80, so there's nothing he doesn't know. The minute we bought our CS60, we took it straight to Kent and just went, okay, tell us what needs to do and refurb it. And he did an amazing job on it. And obviously he does exactly the same for 80s. And him and I have regular phone calls that last for hours and hours and hours about these instruments and various other instruments. And the last call we had, uh, actually the penultimate call we had, was what is it about the AFL that... Um, yeah, sorry, he will forever be known as Frank. Everything, whenever you hear a CSA, you immediately, it kind of puts you in that frame of mind. And those sounds sound like everything he's done because he has kind of claimed it for his own. Yeah. So what's really fascinating is that Kent, armed with all of this, we had a discussion. So <laughs> name the albums where a CSA doesn't particularly sound like a Frank Evangelis uh, track. We came up with So... Uh, War of the Worlds. Um, what was the other one? Oh, um, variations. The Lloyd Webber one. Incognito. Jazz funk thing that I was involved in years ago. Yeah, uh, that used it, but that only doesn't sound like a CSA because it was really badly recorded. So he. So it was like, what is it about this instrument that makes it so distinctive? And the conclusion we came to was probably the filters. So what's really fascinating is that Kent is now refitting his CSA with some Steiner Parker filters as well. So we're going to be really interested to oh. see what the results of that are. Well, I can't imagine there's any room in the case. Have you looked inside a CS80? It's just like a sort of dense... Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like an extremely dense collection of electronics, I mean, which is why they're so famously difficult to move, touch, um, or, you know, service, keep working in any kind of way. So, I mean, it's, it's astonishing that, that, that he's finding the room, but that sounds interesting. Very There's astonishing. a lot of myths that have grown up around the CSA, though. It's not... Um, it is, they are robust. I mean, you could drive over them with a tank and whatnot. I've dropped the 60, all right, that, like we say, the 80s heavier, yeah, but I've dropped the 60. Tuning it isn't such a nightmare, as long as you know which pot to uh, yeah. poke. Well, I suppose the thing—I mean, the thing I liked about this, it, it, you know, like I said, it does the two things, isn't it? It sort of talks about the presets and it talks about the other things. And that was something I wanted to talk to you about, Robbie, because I mean, you're—you—you you, you use a lot of in-the-box stuff as well as out-of-the-box, and you seem to be moving away from the out-of-the-box stuff. But I mean, when you have been in the, in the box, I mean, you must be just sort of confronted with thousands and thousands and thousands of presets. Do you browse or do you tweak? Um, I kind of do a bit of both. I'm one of these annoying people. I've got this ridiculous capacity to remember like individual sounds in libraries, you know, in amongst dozens and dozens of synths. Um, so I, I do I do do a bit of both. I, I mean, I don't mind using a preset um, if, if I can find an interesting way of using it or processing it in a different way afterwards. Um, but I, I do get a little bit jumpy about just sort of getting stuff straight out of the box and just, you know, sl slapping it in tracks because um, it's kind of I kind of then feel like I'm, it's kind of just music to order if you don't have any sort of kind of input into that side of it. So um, it depends what I'm doing, though. If, if you're doing film stuff, you know, sometimes you have to use certain stock sounds for things just to get things going quickly. But um, usually we want to kind of go back over that and kind of try and make a bit more effort with it. Yeah, well, I mean that sounds like a good a good philosophy. Are you finding that you've got you're moving away from that more now that you've got all this modular kit um, dotted about the place? Well, I got I got the synths because I I just got fed up with just sitting endlessly looking in front of the computer, 
you know, I mean, just and I've started to feel like I was doing some sort of some sort of, you know, sort of accounts every day. IT just, job, yeah. You know, just sitting here every day, just sort of moving a mouse and moving sliders and knobs on the screen. And so I started kind of getting a couple of instruments just because I wanted to kind of have a bit more fun back in the studio. And as 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 is the kind of way, it's kind of it's kind of sprawled out a little bit more. It, it just looks like you might be obsessing on it a little bit there. I, I don't know. Cool. I I may just be. I may have just read that wrong. But it looks it looks like you know there's quite a lot of extra stuff there these days since the last time I was down there. Yeah. This this is this is. This is you heard it here first, and it's probably a load of rubbish. But this is pretty much it because I haven't got space for any more. So I've already said I'm not getting any more physical keyboards with keyboards because I can't do that. And um, the Euro rack stuff was kind of was kind of the last thing that I hadn't really dipped my toe into. So everything some... I had kind of a fixed architecture. So um, I got the that synth, the the Ectile Polygamist, which is a crazy synth from the states which is kind of part you know semi-modular and that kind of wet my appetite so I've, I, I've kind of built a modular system which i'm kind of gonna kind of stick with for a while and kind of really get to grips with so i can see those dark spaces in that modular system are you sure there aren't actually um some more modules to, to go in there or is that just they the are modules coming they're just on order from <laughs> analog in america uh... unfortunately what i found with the euro rack stuff system is um, you can't always appease your desire to get things straight away. You know, it's kind of a little bit kind of like, it's a bit like a sort of a treasure hunt to find the stuff you want. So um, there's a few things I've been waiting on which are coming imminently. Ah, that sounds like a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Hans, yeah. have you ever, uh, sorry, uh, Hans, have you ever come across the, um, oh, I'll get the switch right in a second. Sorry, my fingers are not working for me today. CS80, ever had your hands uh, on one? No, only the Arturia version. <laughs> ah, different. It's, it doesn't make sense on the screen because it's so much. Oh of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And um, generally, um, I only kept the synthesizers um, from my trance times that really uh, produce unique sounds. Something I cannot do in the computer. So I'm the only three I have left are the microwave one, uh, uh, a Wasp, and an MS20. Right. And, and most of the other stuff I feel I can do in the computer, but if I had the space and the resources, basically mostly I don't really have the space because it's already pretty tight here anyways. I would love to have more keyboards again just to get out of this narrow-minded sort of headspace because it does something to you if you always check staring at a screen and because we know that uh, your visual sense takes over from your audio sense so it's the visual sense is much stronger it's dominant that's why all these fun rides work where you sort of you know, have this big projection and you think you're falling down a big mountain and you just <gasps> feel it because uh, the visual um, sense is so much stronger oh, and i always okay. think that that uh, it's I just feel more creative if I don't need to look at the screen. I probably we all probably we all share that. I'm notion, sure. Yeah. I know, Ga Gaz. You've been uh, you, yeah. You've been working on that kind of stuff. Have you ever um, had the, the opportunity to play with uh, something like CS80? Oh no, sadly not. But I was thinking. Oops. When you're talking about uh, the distinctiveness of a CS80, surely the polyphonic aftertouch has got to be kind of 
worth a mention though uh and you can see the guy utilizing that in that video can't you um and you know there's something i've been banging on about for a long time and playing around with polyphonic aftertouch both on the ipad and now on the cmex key i i just think it takes synthesis into well polyphonic synthesis into another into another dimension really so i mean um I think it's worth a mention because I yeah. think that is a key defining element of the well, CSA. And the velocity sensitivity is very, it's just a very expressive instrument from that point of view altogether. And yeah. the keyboard feels beautiful. Is it really? I, I, I haven't played one. I, I played one very briefly. Uh, I may have told this story, but uh, when I was working at Real World, uh, Peter Gabriel Studio back in like the early 90s, uh, I was hired to do sound design for CD ROM that even. I forget the name of the other one. And one of the jobs that we had was to go out and, and just harvest sounds and find the references that we could use. And uh, and so I went with a torch into this sort of big warehouse where I found the CS80. And I said, oh, can we uh, can we get that in here? And it, it appeared in the in the studio. And then I started using it. And it was just like, oh, this is gorgeous. And I put it through an eventide, I think it was an HD 1000 or 3000 harmonizer. I just got this sort of monstrously wide, beautiful looping pad. And um, and Peter came in and uh, and just sort of spotted it and went, oh. And then it got taken away again. <laughs> and I don't yeah, know what he used it for, that. but it was it was a victim of its own success. So I only got my hands on it for a little while, but it was uh, fabulous to do. But yeah, you're right, Gaz, about that. I think that... It's funny you saying about the whole uh, hardware thing and actually getting up and not being a kind of administrative assistant. It's one of the reasons why we got the modular. And the other day, I was building this patch that I've literally... I don't know whether you can see it, but there are hundreds and hundreds oh, yeah. of cables on there. And I had them all around my shoulder. And after about half an hour of standing up and moving around and plugging stuff in and what, I thought, blimey, my shoulders really hurt, which is testament to how wimpy you become sat in front of a computer for years. You were, you were, you were trounced by, by 20 patch cables. I mean, they are quarter-inch jacks after all, so I suppose they would be a little heavier than just the eighth. <laughs> but it, I th the thing I like about this video is, uh, you know, it's it's got all the sounds in it. There's also another one here which I should play, which is very comedic. Uh, let me see if I can quickly find it because this is yet another one. You, we were talking about oh, this one, uh, same sort of thing. This is one from a couple of years ago, and it's the Christmas hits, and it's very comedic. Because uh, hold on, you watch this. He gets everything ready for Christmas, and. Uh, uh, there we go. It's Christmas tree light, and then he's nearly ready. Oh no, no, I need some tinsel. Yeah, bit of tinsel, and then uh, of course the little uh, thing. This is great. Oh, that's not right. Oh, it needs to be in the right position. Yeah, okay. No, let's put him in the patch, the patch memory bit. Yeah, that's the job. Right, we're ready to go now. <laughs> and uh, and this is the song. I didn't realise that this was a CS80, but you'll you'll know it as soon as he starts playing the chords. Here we go. <laughs> Everybody now. Yeah, so that's Paul McCartney having a wonderful Christmas time, which, according to that video, or at least implies that was a CS80, which I approve of. It was. It was. Dave knows. There's our resident historian there. You're looking very Instagram today, Dave. It's, uh, is, it, is it dark in your place? It look, I mean, I like it. It's just getting very moody. Is there a storm brewing down your neck uh, of the woods? <laughs> it's getting dark outside. Ah, uh, yeah. Need some lights like Robbie. Look, there you go. That makes no difference. 
What's that? Yeah. What's that glowing orb in the corner, Robbie? Is that the? Um, is that that thing that, that we saw at Nam? It's the Alpha Sphere. It's a controller, and that, it's another thing that we're we're going to use in the show. I'm just. Uh, it's it's really interesting because you you've got pads on. Obviously, you can play like drum pads, but what's really kind of a little bit disconcerting is you can push your fingers right into them. The the, the rubber skin is really flexible, so you can oh. like do pitch and stuff by squashing your fingers really quite into it. It feels a little bit kind of weird. It look. I, I must admit, you did actually post your last video from the yeah. li- live blog you did was you playing it, and it did remind me a little bit of that scene from Ghost where Patrick <laughs> Swayze was behind Demi Moore, sort of fondling her, and you. It looked very sensual. <laughs> that's what Howard, that's what Howard said to me. He said he he wasn't sure whether anyone should be watching it. <laughs> it's a very personal and private moment. Yeah, yeah. you have yeah, to do. Yeah. I used it, so it was kind of like it's really weird as well because. It was configured with all the low low octaves and stuff down around the bottom at the at the back. So, so you, you had to, to really f- get your eyes <laughs> with it. Yeah. What? <laughs> What you, what you probably need to do is get really muscular and oiled up, take your shirt off, and then start doing it. Yeah. That would look great. Or maybe it would look weird. I think I know it would look weird, actually. Let's forget that. I'm just not sure. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, right, well, let's have a look at uh, another topic. Um, next well, yeah. Uh, next one. Is, oh, yeah, this is the music for free stuff. Dave, uh, I mean, you... You sent me a link, and then this one showed up. And this was from... Uh, I found the version on Pro, Pro Tools' uh, blog. Uh, if I could go there. I think I've got the web page. This is a guy who goes under the name of Whitey. He's because NJ White, and he's basically a kind of independent artist, does kind of rock and techno kind of side of things. Has been pretty successful. He's got lots of um, syncs already. And he just got approached by this TV company um, called... I think they're called Betty TV. I don't know if we can read all of this. And uh, he's just written this sort of really eloquent and quite pointy um, response to this, can we have your stuff for nothing? There is no money left in the budget. Basically, his his whole reasoning is, well, you're the production company. What you're telling me is you didn't leave any production for budget. I bet you're not working for nothing, so why should I? Basically, get stuffed and don't call me again. And then proceeded to send it everywhere, and it's sort of gone viral. And it's quite interesting, this dynamic, because the same thing happened with uh, a creative artist uh, being asked for digital uh, um, artwork for, for, a, for an ad project. Same kind of concept. And I'm guessing that, Dave, you kind of got, um, being a software manufacturer, I guess, you know, the idea of sort of having to give stuff away for free is perhaps closer to your heart than, than some of us. So perhaps, uh, perhaps you could say your piece. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. I mean, there's so many elements to this, isn't there? It is the point that I think most of us probably in our late teens, 20s, worked for free constantly. It was almost like a rite of passage. If you can put up with this crap constantly and deal with that person or this artist or whatnot and still survive, then you're man enough to have a career in music of sort. So I think we're kind of used to it, but it was... I think the one that really got me was the artist one, uh, not the whitey one, because I quite like the fact that he sent that viral. And it was the other guy who replied really politely. TJ Wright. Yeah, Yeah, and it was a really nice reply saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Exactly the kind of reply you'd probably give. And then it was the response to that reply just kind of made my jaw drop. And I just thought, this is really getting out of control. Now, I do know from a lot of people who do sync uh, music, 
hire agencies and stuff like that that it used to be you know it used to be a lot more lucrative like most things musical used to be pretty lucrative but isn't so much now and that seems to be partly because kind of lawyers have got hold of it and instead of a 50 50 split it'll be like you know 10 90 in the favor of the lawyers so i don't know you know i think it's about time people just took a bit of a stand but you've got to balance it with the fact that you know there are times dude pretty much everything we do we work for nothing until we finish the project and then we release it and if we're lucky and if we're good enough, you know, we get some money from that. So, you know, there's a lot of speculative stuff goes on. But if the agency is getting paid, then you deserve to get paid. I had a, my favourite one ever was when I was at NAM, where this guy with a ginger mullet and a thousand yard stare came up to me and said, kind of looking at me, but not really, said, Hey man, all your competitors give me free stuff. You should give me free stuff. I've got a quarter of a million dollar studio with a with a hundred thousand dollar board, and you should really give me free stuff. And I said, there's kind of three things you've said there, all in the wrong order, and all of them make no sense to me at all. And he didn't get it, and he kept coming back and trying again and again and again, and he still didn't get free stuff. So no. anyway, yeah. Yeah, and my response is, well, you got more money than I have. How can I can I have some stuff? <laughs> I know. I, 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 you know, Gaz. I remember when we were uh, last in a car together. You were telling me about the attitude of some publishing companies that you had to go and see. You know, and this, it seems like a very, it doesn't seem like a very healthy way to work. I mean, just, I, I don't know how it's come about. I mean, do you think they can just all get what they need anyway, without having to pay? <laughs> Possibly. And also there is this attitude that's been around for a long old time that musicians obviously have far too much fun to warrant paying, you know, so that, that it's we're always the last people to get paid. And this has been a real kind of bugbear of mine for a long time, really. Um, you know, it is it is a it is a crazy notion. It's a crazy notion. But I mean, um it's funny, the the whole sync thing has just gone mad over the last few years anyway, hasn't it? There's various companies who've set up uh, who host libraries and they have fixed fees. Uh, so, yes, you will get paid, but it's not a lot of money. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I mean, there's so many music makers now in the world, isn't there? So... Yeah, they but just I, I, suppose that, I suppose there are. I mean, I, I, it's just a question of whether they're any good. I, Robbie, I can tell you're probably itching to get in here as well because, I mean, you do a, a lot of work to picture. You know, in your credits, it was just you've been working on movies and presumably you do ads and other stuff, or do you shy away from that? I mean, what's your kind of thought? Well, I mean, I started doing the sort of movie stuff with with a friend of mine that kind of, kind of was a partnership about five years ago. Just It was just a great new challenge to get away from just doing fans and you know artists and all that kind of thing it's great it's such a different thing working with picture but i totally agree with you know what that the sentiment what's behind what that guy was saying because we've been asked to do a, i mean we've been asked to do a film before you know a small independent film that had like a one million dollar budget which isn't isn't insignificant and they were saying you know but we've got five thousand dollars left that we could give you for the music and we was just a nonsense because Someone said to me that the average um, the average fee for a for a film score should be about one percent of the budget, and that didn't equate. And um, it, it seems to be so many times that people kind of 
treat music like it's just some sort of filler thing just to add a bit of you know extra emotion to stuff and they don't have that kind of understanding of how important the music is and so we kind of try and work now with a very small group of of directors and people that we know and trust and they trust what we do and we trust their judgment in it and that kind of gives us the kind of the best of both really mm. i suppose the thing is is either you get bespoke music in which case you've got to pay for it to be, be done or if you don't you're going to have to license stuff and from what i recall you know from any of the publishing i've ever had uh, the thing that makes the most money is not sales, it's synchronization fees. So that's why, uh, so you're going to end up paying at some point. So it just seems like maybe it doesn't come out of the budget at that point, it comes out the back end, which is, you know, based on ticket sales and licensing. So maybe that's the issue. I know, um, non-error, have you ever um, done any stuff to picture? I mean, do you get involved in that stuff? I mean, you're like me in that you've got a different job probably because of avoiding all this did, kind of nonsense. I did a, a very, very small job for a little money once. Um, but I think uh, there's generally a problem in the video world with audio in general, not just by syncing. I mean, everybody who wants to get into video gets told, listen, your audio may be even be more important than the pictures you're taking with your video camera. Because if the audio is really bad, then you have a bad video, no matter how good your, uh, your picture is. So, but that always seems to be heavily ignored, you know, because um, there have been tests done um, that actually make it quite clear that you perceive a video a higher quality if the audio is better. So better audio makes it a perceived better video than bad audio with a great picture. Yeah. And I think this attitude, you know, this ignorance of the audio side in, in a movie that gets into the uh, the syncing stuff and the music for the video as well. Because we did a, a very brief um, little lesson with somebody who actually is a composer for for um, the, for drama here in Germany, and he showed us and showed to my viewers how different a scene is perceived with different music. So we had different music for the same scene, and you go, oh God. It, it just feels so different. There's a different intention coming through just by doing different music to the same picture. Mm, that and, sounds really good. And, yeah, and, and, and when, we real, when people don't realize and movie makers don't seem to realize that they can make a much better movie with better music or with a better composer. And so it, I think it's just, it's, it, the whole problem is video people don't understand audio. Hmm. That's it. And, and the importance of audio for their work. And that's, and that's why they think, oh, we have no budget. Oh, we get some music for the movie. Maybe we get it for free. Well, I wonder whether or not if you've got like a decent music consultant, which is why this role's probably increased, who can source the cheapest and the freest music that can that will do the job and you don't have to think about it, maybe that's why this is happening. And if that person relies on a lot of people that they can get their stuff for nothing for exposure or whatever. I don't know if it works the same way in films, whether there's actually a mechanical aspect to the synchronization because certainly on uh, in, in radio and that uh, there's a percentage of a royalty that is is a mechanical percentage that you would get regardless of whether the company pays you they have to pay a fee just because they're using music in the film do you know anything about that robbie is that true um i it's, it's different there's two kind of areas with film music there's there's the score 
and then there's music music that they want to buy in as sinks right you know which like songs by an artist or whatever and those are treat, treated as two totally separate issues right certainly with score um I mean, most of the stuff you do for a score is work for hire in that the once you've done a score it belongs to them unless you have special clauses in there to kind of allow you to get back-end royalties for perhaps a soundtrack album right kind of, the actual the actual licensing of you know like a track that's well known by whoever that's kind of always set, dealt with as a separate issue and i think they have to pay 50 percent of a like they, they they have to pay what's called two sides they have to pay 50 percent for the recording for the, and, and the 50 percent yeah. publishing yeah yeah i, I mean I, I, from my experience you know that's where certainly the stuff I've written with Goldfrap, the synchronizations are the where, you know, because you, a way you can get, especially if you're getting sort of an ad, if it's an ad, big global ad campaign, you know, that can generate a lot of cash. So that's a very competitive world. But the thing is, is they're after the music that's already got some kind of reputation and they want to be associated with it. So it has, I suppose, higher value from that point of view. I don't know. Gaz, have you went, are you doing much stuff to picture at the moment, or is you're you're working mostly with sort of independent artists, right? Uh, yeah, at the moment I'm working. Uh, I'm actually working a lot of hip hop at the moment, but um, nice. funny enough, uh, but um, uh, no, I, I have done. I have done, and it is really enjoyable. It really is enjoyable to do. Uh, but. Um, yeah, I would love to do more. I would love to do more, to be honest. But I tend to, I tend to shy away from it just because I know that so many people, so many people, it's hard I know work as well, isn't it? It's, it's high intensity. It, it is hard work, but it's, I know so many people who are doing it who are pitching work for syncing and for for right. film soundtrack work. So many people. So I, I've just, I kind of backed off from it just because I just feel that it's a crowded marketplace. Mm. Well, there's a new market coming up. It's the video games. We just did an interview with somebody who went from uh, Hamburg to Hollywood to make it there. And he's now pretty um, successful doing uh, stuff for PlayStation games. Wow. Really high level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, uh, really big ones as well. And he says it's a, it's a really, really big job and they have real budgets. Well, they have to because you've got to, I mean, certainly whenever I've done any sound for, you know, CD-ROMs or any kind of games, just the IT and the asset management and all of that stuff, because quite often they have quite clever playback engines where you have elements that randomly play over each other to create generative kind of music beds and stuff. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of skill involved in that, right? Is, is that the sort of thing he was doing? Yep, yep. Mm. Resistance is the game series called. Yeah, and they have an uh, engine... That obviously, um, when when somebody does a certain action, or he goes into a, a certain room, or he goes into a, a space where there are enemies, and the, the mood of the music has to change. So it's a, quite a tricky job. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody just turns the music off in the film, yeah. <laughs> just listens to the soundtrack. I know, it's interesting, though, because I, th I think that often, I mean, well, anyway, I mean, coming back to this, I think it's great that this guy's just done it, but this seems to be a trend, and I think, I mean, it's quite brave to do something like that because the whole concept works on, you know, tell anybody you've got to stay in with the in crowd, otherwise you won't get any work. But if they're not, if the work, that kind of work they're offering you doesn't generate any money, then you've, I suppose you've got nothing to lose. Do you think it's something we should encourage if somebody does try and do this kind of thing? I mean, would you have the, the, the cojones to do it, Dave? Uh, it depends. Yeah, probably. It depends on the project. I mean, you know, there are projects that 
been asked to do that actually I haven't charged for because I've got loads of experience or loads of other things out of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it would depend. It would depend a lot. I just think that there is a way of communicating. I've, I've, I'm having this discussion with somebody, a friend of mine who moved to America, and he's right in the kind of swim of the whole dot-com thing, and, you know, everyone thinks they're Mark Zuckerberg, and it's all raising money in a difficult climate. What he was saying is that everybody is too busy for niceties. So he gets irritated when I open my emails with, hi, James, and always sign off with thanks or, you know, see you or whatever. And he's like, oh, all those emails, they just kind of irritate me because I don't have time for any of this, you know, idle chat. And I'm like, so when did thanks become idle chat? So for me, it's about the way it's asked for and whether or not I think that I could get something out of that project and equally contribute as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, a case by case basis, as we all uh, as we all know, I suppose. Right, I think well, the problem is that musicians generally are kind of too laid back in a little, in a sense. You know, they're kind of, and also slightly insecure in that if somebody kind of goes, "Oh, we really want your stuff, but we haven't got the budget," then the chances are, that, you know, people will kind of go, "Oh, yeah, you know, maybe it might lead to something else or something else." And yeah, oh, okay, to, I didn't realise I was that good. But there comes a point where you have to go. Actually, I've been doing this for X amount of years. I am quite good. And that's pretty much yeah. what uh, NJ White did. Isn't, isn't yeah. it kind of a, a variation of the apprentice problem? Intern <laughs> problem, I mean? Intern problem, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was looking at, uh, there's a post on Sonic today, which is um, the uh, Beats Supreme Team, which is a great concept. You take, uh, there's a set of samples and a tempo, and they get a load of producers that have to produce a, a one minute of music in an hour and then they all contribute to that and even they've got a job an advert for a, an intern and i was thinking oh maybe i should just copy the wording of that ad and get an intern here i like the idea of that wonder if anybody be you know but they'd have to live in bath obviously it'd be uh, otherwise it would just in which case it'd make it too expensive for them to do it for nothing so it's one of those uh I I think think slightly... sorry. sorry hans go ahead no, I think I was going to say it can always work in both ways. I mean, you can get sucked out doing lots of work, good work for nothing, but it can actually also lead to something. Yeah. You know, absolutely. you need to get your foot into the door somehow, and if you have nothing to show. So it just happened. I think it just, you, you got to find the point where you for yourself decide that now it's time to make, you're good enough to make money out of it. Yeah. And, and if you're an intern, it's also so at some point you just say, hey, I'm doing the regular work here. You see, my, my uh, right now, Andre, who's working for me, he used to be an intern and he's doing real work now. So it does work for some people. So we can't just kiss it all together. Yeah. No, I, I, no. And also, what I think from a kind of, from my perspective, whenever we have had somebody, somebody's work for us as an intern or anything, what you want to see is that kind of hunger and that real passion, the same stuff that drives us day in and day out and the same thing that's kind of kept us going. And unfortunately, I think it's a byproduct of a lot of courses. We get CVs or, you know, job um, applications sent to us and they're all like, oh, I've just finished this School of Audio Engineering course and I want a starting salary of 35 grand a year. And you're just like, whoa, hold on a minute. You know, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. You may have sent me a CD or something in the past, but what I want is for you to 
work with alongside me and show you some real dedication and passion and yeah. commitment and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm starting to sound like Alan Sugar, so I'll shut up. No, well, you need, I mean, you know, I, well, all I ever want from anybody who gets involved is some good ideas, you know, rather than just, can you pick that peak? teacup up and put it over there or can you wrap the cables up you want a sort of right. actually i've got a better idea if we put the cables over there and did this and color coded them then that would make oh, the, just like yeah that. you know whatever that yeah, kind of stuff yeah. so yeah well, let's face it oh sorry go sorry uh, i mean in the old days uh, if you wanted to get into mixing or being a mix engineer you would find somewhere to cook tea yes these days you won't no. so it's very very hard to sort of to look over somebody's so shoulder, to learn something. So maybe you have to do lots and lots and lots of free work first yeah. to just get the, to gain the experience. Yeah, well, because that's there's true. There's no, no, other, no other way to find it. But so you, do have, you do have to have a cutoff, don't you? Because yeah. you know, it's, it, what really irritates me is people who, who, who know what you do and they say, we really like the work you do, but would you, like, would you be prepared to do something on spec to kind of see if we want to use you? And I always just go back and say now, no, because you, you just said it already. You know what I do. You can see a body of work that I've done. And if you either want to use me because you like what we do or you, you've got some other idea for somebody else. And it, it seems like so many people nowadays want you to try and pitch for work for everything, even even when you have done that kind of 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Of, and you've got that work under your belt, which I think is ridiculous. So I uh, agreed. Do you, Robbie, you, you don't need a, um, I'm, well, I don't know, a, uh, a light bulb changer in your studio from time to time? <laughs> yeah, you can be my light bulb intern, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, an interesting, I mean, you know, I, what I liked about this is it's just raised a lot of discussion. And, and, and I think, frankly, what's probably happened with that whole NJ White thing is somebody basically didn't really know what they were doing and, you know... Uh, didn't think it through, whereas perhaps someone more experienced might have come in with a slightly better and more acceptable approach. Anyway, kind of fun. Right, uh, what's what's next? Ah, oh, um, cassette film. Cassettes, cassettes, Look cassettes. Look at that. That's a cassette film right there. And I think there's a trailer here which I was going to play. Let me see if I can find... Oh, there, yes, here we go. I'll play this. Look, let's see. This is... Uh, it looks lovely. So this is one of my first bands. This is my first ever so Henry cassette. The Ampex mm. representative came in one day with the it's first terrifying. audio cassette I'd ever seen. He said, this is going to be a really big thing in the future. I said, nobody's going to want that. It looks like it should go in a doll. You put the tape in, and a song by one band would play, a song by another band would play, and then a third song by a third band what would play. What I particularly like about this... Uh, this, this blew my is, mind. The cassette, you could do your own the cassette, guy at the cassette end. like, was your gateway into creativity. Cassettes didn't play a role in hip-hop in the early days. Cassettes were hip-hop. There was no rap radio. There was no video. There was no... There was nothing. It wasn't cheap at all. Yeah, it was actually... It was it, For me, it was as good as it gets. If I hadn't had the cassette tape, I'm sure it would have been end up in a mental hospital. Digital is just kind of like, it's a high how do you do. It's almost disingenuous. Like, here, take my CDR. You take my CDR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I won't, Henry. But, uh, yeah, I always had a... a Henry's still got that kind of slightly aggressive persona there. But uh, there's a little bit later on in the, tra in the trailer where um, the chap who's got the, 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 the one remaining cassette tape factory, he said, we're making more cassettes than we ever have. It's something like 39% like sales. It's just bonkers. 
And uh, Han, Hans, you were, you were a drunk. Yeah, I was so eager to, because that's my subject. I bought the last ever sold by Toman C10 cassette. Wow. The last ever. Have you got it framed or something? No, no, unfortunately not, because I wanted to buy 10 and he called, and they even called me and asked, uh, we only have one left, uh, shall we send that one to you? And I said, yeah, it's going to be the last C10 cassette ever sold by Tobin. Uh, how much is it? <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember how much it was, but uh, because I did a series of limited edition 10 copies cassettes for my zigzag ziggy. Uh, it was yeah. only available on cassette or as a free digital download. And I uh, have the luxury of an eight-track Tascam cassette recorder. Whoa! Yeah, was that running double speed? You get almost four, four minutes out of that, wouldn't you? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. No, I love cassettes. I think it sounds better than MP3s Should... for sure. For sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's an interesting. No, I, lo- I love the sound. We did a, a, another day in the life blog uh, with Adrian Utley, and he uh, was doing a remix for a, a band on Real World Records. And uh, the last shot was, or the penultimate shot, before he, t- he showed a picture of the desk for the recall, was mastering onto a Tascam uh, 122 Mark II. Just mastered onto it. That's an interesting concept. How does that make you feel, Robbie? Would you, you got any cassettes well, anywhere? I don't, I don't, see, I don't well, see cassettes anywhere in your studio. I have to be honest, and I, I think when I, was a, when I was just getting into music, I did my first two demos on a cassette, and then that was kind of the end of cassette. Kind of, it was kind of the CDs came in, and you know, and my first proper kind of things in studios were on the dreaded ADATs. Oh so that, God! I, I don't have much experience with cassettes apart from buying buying quite a few as a as, as a kind of a kid, and they're somewhere somewhere in the garage now. So yeah, um, yeah. I've got a few yeah. of those. Uh, Dave, I bet you've got boxes of the stuff, haven't you? Cassettes. Hey. This is a John Martin rehearsal from nineteen eighty. Two, I think it's on there that I'm actually going to send to somebody later. Do you think they have they done something about the formulation? Because I don't remember cassette tapes ever melting like uh, Ampex does. No, they just used to snag and come on in your pocket, and you get that kind of thing. You don't you get your pencil and to rewind it and all that kind of stuff. Oh. It's quite an interesting concept. This film. I thought immediately after I saw that advert, I thought maybe I should do one on floppies. <laughs> Well, we talked. We did. We talked about floppies. Well, you know what? I used to be a floppy dealer. I was so. talking about data storage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, st- I'm still a floppy Funny. dealer. Uh, Great now, stuff about cassettes is that you can still listen to music that I recorded in '78, which yeah. wouldn't be possible if it would have been recorded on a digital medium. No, that's I remember my dad buying the first cassette recorder. It was like amazing. It was like wow, it's so small and amazing. And it was compact cassette, and it was. And then, of course, Porter Studios, the 144, how many oh. people cut their teeth on those? I got it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Actually, I paid for one of those. 244, I had. Uh, I you, love it. In fact, know. Andy, st- Andy, Andy uh, I think, still has my 244. There's, uh, there's, uh, I used to end, I ended up using it as a mixer. Do you remember you'd have the Simpty on track four? <laughs> And yeah, then be, yeah, and then be yeah. running like your uh, your MIDI sync and drop. Uh, yeah, God, oh, Christ. Simply bleed. In fact, when Jim Godfrey came here fairly recently, we were going to a party of a friend of ours. In fact, there's two really funny stories here. In um, 
Jem said, it was this guy's, it's the guitarist, John Mitchell, and he said, it's his 40th birthday party. Do you want to see what I've got him? And he opened a thing, and there was this absolutely immaculate 244 with all the kind of punch-in, punch-out little buttons and stuff like that, you know, the foot switches and everything. And I kept thinking, well, what can I take for John? And a million years ago, I was mixing, uh, doing a Bill Bruford CD-ROM thing, and we'd mixed half in America and half in the UK, and we recorded it on an ADAT. And I went to this studio where this same guy was a kind of young engineer at the time. And I'd gone there before and said, OK, we need a couple of ADATs and whatnot. And the, and the studio owner said, yeah, no problem, we'll have it sorted out. So I turn up on the day where we start mixing with Bill, who's looking around the studio kind of going, oh, this is a nice, another dodgy studio you've got me into, Dave. And I say to the, engineer, I say to the studio owner, so you've got the ADATs then, and he gesticulates towards the desk where there is a DAT. And I go, uh, no, you are laughing, you are having a laugh, aren't you? And he goes, no, it's an ADAT, it's a DAT. And I go, no, 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 watch my lips, an ADAT, a DAT. And you should have seen the panic that ensued. So for this guy's 40th birthday, the engineer, <laughs> who wasn't guilty, I took him an ADAT tape of that session, which was like 20 years ago. Oh, nice. Nice one. ADAT, God, I hated those things. <laughs> I know, Gareth, I'm, I imagine you have a fond fondness for cassette tapes, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I... Um, yeah, I've had a long experience of cassettes, and uh, I am going to get my tape player out of the attic i think this has inspired me to do this and to try mixing things onto it and whatnot so um but yeah um, we used to use this old uh, ghetto blaster that had like a it, it would record in stereo it had little mics on the corners and it had this incredibly fierce limiter in yeah. it and uh, so we used to just sort of chuck it in the corner pretty haphazardly and uh, and then um and make these recordings. And we made a load of albums this way. Um, just really, 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 you know, the lowest, the lowest, below five, shall we say. Um, uh, and they actually sound really good. The limiter sounds great on them. It sort of makes everything sound really all together. And ah, so, yeah, I kind of, I, you know, we, we had this thing, didn't we, that, that, in the 90s, you know, we were so desperate for that, to get that digital quality um, that that we just turned our noses up at cassettes. They just seemed to represent everything bad. Um, so it's quite, it is quite interesting that people are actually going, no, they actually do sound quite nice. Um, well, well, I wonder what formulation, because there were different ones, wasn't there? There was the, the, the you obviously had the, just the D and then the C and yeah. then the chrome and then the ferro. Yeah. And then there was a metal one, which, uh, which uh, I don't know what, I, I, what that was all I've, about. Was it actually metal or was it just a different formulation? I, I've got a Sony tape cassette somewhere here and the whole cassette is actually made out of metal as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, what was it now? It was um, metal tape. It was or some sort of alloy. The actual tape was made out of oh, but these cassettes. These cassettes were they play on a regular tape machine. They would have to be in metal. They'd have to be metal. It was special uh, metal mode, wasn't there? Metal mode. Yeah, has to be rock, really, doesn't it? Just the, <laughs> sorry, there's a pun there. That was it. Didn't even raise an eyebrow off anybody. That was 
god awful. Sorry, I apologise for that. <laughs> Does any, any of you guys remember? For a very very brief time, there was this special, a bigger, a fatter uh, cassette. Do you remember that? It was about twice as wide, and I think it was also from Philips, but it died. It had a to be. Oh, the super cassette or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. no. I oh, get on the eight track. Ooh, it was, yeah, that was really nasty. There were, uh, uh, yeah. Well, there was a there, there was a cassette eight track, wasn't there? You, did you say you had one, Hans? Yeah, yeah. Not a multi track, but you know the old eight track. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, so before my time, I don't know anything about that yeah. at all. Um, it's, it looks like a good film. Basically, it's made by. Um, it started in late 2011 as a Kickstarter campaign. Um, they raised 25 grand to make it, and it does look that the trailer does look nice. It's made by uh, Zach Taylor, Seth Smoot, and somebody called Nature Program, who is the uh, Brooklyn-based musician Eric Pitra, who's using solely analog equipment. And recording to audio tape for the soundtrack. I like that. That's that's, that's got a nice uh, philosophical kind of follow through. Enjoy that very much. So, um, so anyway, yeah, do check it out. But um, is it is it filmed on film? It should be filmed on 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 high eight cassettes. Yeah, I don't know. No, it looks like it looks like it's uh, probably um, looks like a DSLR, movie. DSLR, yeah, think, yeah. I'm sure it is. Mark two movie. Mixtapes, yeah. fantastic. Um, Why don't mixtapes exist anymore? Yeah, yeah, I suppose not. No one does mixtapes anymore. Do I never really. Yeah, well, you'd always give them to girls you fancy, didn't you, Dave? No, not, not you, Dave. But well, one, weirdly one enough, <laughs> one Louise would. used to kind of listen to Kiss FM, and she'd be like recording all the kind of cool, cool tunes for me when it came out. And if I was away and stuff, I'd come back to like an avalanche of cassettes, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, brilliant! I could kind of catch up on loads of music." Oh, that's nice. There is, yeah, actually, that's an interesting one. There isn't an easy way for that to happen anymore. It's just a series of links, isn't it? It doesn't have quite the same... Yeah, anyway. I, um, uh, Tyros 5, though, hey? I think we got it somewhere. Oh, no, it's not. That's that one. Ah, now listen to this. Anyone recognise this? Yeah. This is Tyros 5. It's the ultimate performance keyboard and incorporates a radical new design that embraces a choice of keyboard sizes. 61, and for the first time on a Tyros, 76 notes. Tyros 5 is powered by sounds, effects and accompaniments so real that they completely redefine what is musically possible in a keyboard. I'm not sure how I feel about uh, Grace Jones becoming Muzak bed to uh, any kind of advertising, but you know, I suppose there's something. This is news Tyros 5. It actually was just announced because we many, well, I think we looked at the Tyros 3 or 4 many moons ago because it was, uh, again, it's like the real sort of pinnacle of a range of keyboard stuff. And the Tyros 5 mm. is no different in terms of, you know, what it's supposed to be able to do. And l judging by the sound of that demo, I mean, yes, it's very polished and very a range of keyboard, but. The articulation and expression is quite astonishing. I've actually got... Uh, I can play, in fact, a number. I've got... Uh, name me any genre, and there's a load of demos here. And I had one for you, uh, but I want to hear what you say. Think about it first, because I know, Robbie, you're not a big fan of a range of keyboards. I, I, I've, got, I've probably got this terrible prejudice about them. I just think of, like, the first little Casio I bought from Dixon's when I was a kid. Oh, this is so far away from that. Do, do you know how much this... Have a go away from that but i just think i don't know it always conjures up images of some musician in magaluf or something doing stuff i, I don't know i'm probably being horribly unfair about it 
I mean, it does sound impressive. The uh, 4,182 for the uh, 76 key version of those with speakers you get for that. Um, so, you know, there's a that it's high-end technology. I guess... Uh, I, I guess it's sort of everything that Yamaha make into one thing, but they're supposed to be, you know, the absolute best ones that is possible to buy. And I, I'm, I'm sure we did this topic before, but I, I wanted to play you. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to convince you. Wait, hold on a minute. This one will do for you because it's, uh, this is big room. Let me see if I can find it now. Here we go. See what you think of this. To David Getter. Oh yeah. No, I went. Okay. Um, Hans, do you ever cover this kind of stuff? I mean, uh, it is yeah, it well, is high end music technology, right? I mean, and lots of actually, there are lots of people who use this kind of stuff to make music and make a living out of it. You know, doing you know shows and what have you. Are we being snobs about it? Do you think? Yes, I am. <laughs> I feel no. I, I feel no love. For I feel this nothing. People feel nothing. Nothing in my heart. I'm sorry. I can't be of much help here. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, there's no real... There, but, Dave, there's no real difference to this and perhaps, you know, the GX1 and those kind of big... Yeah, the, the, the really kind of big Yamaha things that we all... We, that had a little synth section that we kind of think of our call. What's the difference? Not a lot. And the GX1 is kind of where I draw the line. I only really love the GX1 because, obviously, it was used by Stevie Wonder on Village Gatorland and Songs of the Key Life. But... It's just right on the cusp for me. You, like, you can buy an HX1 or uh, whatever it is, DX, no, not the uh, it's a GX1, the HX1, FX1. You can pick those up reasonable price. And actually, the technology in them is fantastic, but it just does nothing for me. I did have a D10. Oh, yeah. Which all the hip guys like you, I know, had the rack ones, which was the U110. I had the D110, actually, yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry, the D110. Uh, yeah, the D20 was the kind of workstation equivalent, wasn't it? And they only just, I think, what was it, the W30, when Prodigy started using the W30, there was this kind of peak of, like, workstation keyboards can be cool. Oh, no, sorry, they can't. And I don't know what it is about them. I think Robbie hit the nail on the head. It does remind me of some bloke and his missus singing cover songs in a magazine. Polyester trousers! <laughs> You know, That's it, exactly. he ejaculated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at £4,000, that's some musician in Magaluf. That's, that's a lot of polyester trousers. Yeah. But, like, so there's that banging, there's that dance tune playing that Nick's just shown the video for, and there's a bloke sat down kind of playing a few vamping chords, and that sort of sums it up. It's like, give it to David Getter, and I don't want it, thank you. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um Let's have a look. I've got that. I know there's something else. I'm sure of it. Uh, string Ensemble. Okay, I'm going to play that. We'll have that running in the background, perhaps. But it's not very well played, actually. But it's... Is this? Is this Handle? Yeah, anyway, never mind. Okay, Gaz, you're right. Is it any, any keyboard yeah. with speakers on for me? Any keyboard with speakers on? I, I oh, 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 wait a minute. Now, you, now that's fighting talk. That is, 
I, I think a few things, maybe, but you know. Yeah. Hasn't your uh, hasn't a uh, uh, wasp or a gnat got a speaker on it? Yeah, okay, a few little things like that, but anything sort of bigger poly things, even things like that Juno 106 ad speakers and all that. HSA. Not okay. It's not okay, is it? It always sends shudders down my spine. That oh. <laughs> it's kind of two worlds colliding that should never cross. <laughs> I, I I sort of see it as like kind of. Um, Painting by numbers kind of machine, though, in a way, these arranger keyboards. They kind of uh, appeal to, to to lightweights, you know, and fluffmeisters. I, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. This topic is making me feel a bit sick, to be honest. I, I really try not, I'm trying to keep it in the bag, but I can't. I, 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 I think... <laughs> I think about all those music shops, you know, I've got into town, I'm on holiday somewhere, it's like, hooray, music shop! And you go into the music shop and it's just all stuffed full of home keyboards and it's like, no! These things are about, I don't know, um, about in, as inspiring as a two-day-old bowl of sick. There oh, wow, that's, that's even more fighting talk. Fluffmeisters, that's, that's a, that could be a contender. Uh, when I was... Um... My first Saturday job was working in a Yamaha home organ shop. And I was I was charged with the only thing I had to do was learn a few tunes like Chariots of Fire that I could impress people on with these organs. I don't know what they were at the time, HS organs or whatever. People used to come into me and say, which one would you like to, would you recommend to me? And I'd always say to them, um, I'd go down to ABC Music down the road and look at synthesizers. And I got <laughs> sacked off two weeks. Wow, you were like the gorilla, the gorilla synthesizer sale. You were the anti-organ salesman. Wow, that's that's good work there, Robbie. Uh, but it, lots of people use them. I mean, it's a massive, massive market, and I think it's interesting. And I, because you can still, you know, there are there are elements of that. You know, you've got the Korg. Korg stuff's got lots of arpeggios in it. Motif stuff uses arpeggiator technology. You know, a lot of these big workstations that are, are you know, bread and butter for, you know, people in TV bands or what have you, you know, they, they use this stuff. Is that is that unacceptable somehow as well, or is that okay? It's unacceptable. Uh, right, okay. They can be quite good scratch pads, though, can't they, for ideas, yeah. if you've got the onboard sequencer. And once you know how to use it, you can, you know, if you're fluent with it, you can kind of, oh, okay, I just want to get that idea down. Okay. I remember writing something a million years ago on a workstation keyboard, which I, weirdly enough, I helped design, although I won't go into that. Um, and in the end, I decided not to replace any of the parts with, like, a drum machine, a proper drum machine, a proper drum machine. It sounded, ju- it sounded just so. <laughs> it just kind of fitted the vibe, you know. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, I just called to say I love you. Wasn't that created on a home keyboard and sounds like it was recorded on one? Oh, I can't even go into that track. And hasn't an M1, an O1D, all of those got sequences in and workstation stuff, yet they were kind of responsible. And not enough enough power to to be able to uh, for proper timing. Remember? Yeah, it was awful. The M1 and all these little things, they break down when you feed them too many notes. Yeah, or put oh, any yeah. aftertouch or any pitch bend in there. It's and like... also, the M1 was like the death of like some really good musicians at the time. I remember like really good live musicians would kind of get a budget to go into the studio and they'd think, oh, I'll trouser the money, I'll go and get an M1 and I'll create these great songs on an M1. So everybody sounded the same. Finger snaps. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Pole. 
And you're just like, why don't you just get a band and take your band that you've rehearsed for like and geeked with for the last two years, take them into a studio. Oh, no, 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 I want to do it this way because I've got total control. It's like, oh, oh, oh stop. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was the programmer for several of those sessions. <laughs> I think... Oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Dave. <laughs> do, do you think people who sit behind the, the, the Tyros 5 feel like God? No, I don't think... I mean, I, you know, I think it's a bit unfair to kind of to tie them all with that. You know, we, we've been looking at a corporate video for a corporate product, which is a flagship product. And, you know, the, the, it's interesting that both Roland and Yamaha have very specific demonstrators for uh, for a range of keyboards. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're very, you know, they've, they've got a lot of, they, they just know how to kind of play anything, basically, you know, in term, in within the context of that. And they are very, very complicated things. You know, the, the, just the nuance that you can get with the arrangements, all of that, you could do some pretty amazing stuff. And it's not like there's no skill involved. I mean, I, I, there's no skill involved to sound like just any old anything, you know, one finger kind of band thing. But there's still there's still quite a lot of skill to be able to play these expressively, and some of the sounds in them, as I've said, I think I, I would, I would, I would, I would. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? I would support uh, some of this this area of the market, I, and I'm sure it having... is a massive market, Nick. Sorry, it yeah, is it's... a massive market. I did some program. I've done pro style programming for a range of keyboards in the past, which is probably one of the most soul destroying jobs you can do, but. The market, particularly in Europe, is absolutely immense. Go into any bar in Italy or anywhere like that, and there will be somebody with their arranger keyboard. That's great. Arranger apologist. That's a fantastic title. That might be a have show title right there. <laughs> what a fantastic. Although I have oh. discovered, I, I wanted to say actually, did I, I mention this? We've. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this up now. Well, just to lighten up. Look on the BHP photo video. There's a uh, how I my pod my Bob my podcasting system they've got a blog post of uh of it all and it looks um there there you go it's all been so we are famous and i think that might we we've, we've got a decent number of people in the chat room um this week and it, they may have something to do with them it may not um i'm trying to change the subject because i think i don't want to alienate a people who play a range <laughs> a range of keyboards Sorry, I think it's, I, I, if we go down this road any longer i'm out <laughs> Fair yeah, me too me too <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's find something else to talk about then. Um, I think I've got one or two things. Oh, oh, that seems to be the last one. In. Oh, no, there was this other one, wasn't there? This um, C64, Cubase 64 by uh, Mahoney Tufson. Uh, this is quite amusing because it actually um, uses the uh, Tom's Diner vocal. They said it couldn't be done, apparently. See, Cubase 64 couldn't ever, on Commodore, could never do audio. And this is uh, some bright spark has uh, in- implemented time stretch, performance shift, uh, a number of uh, amazing quality effects here. <laughs> But uh, I wonder if it obviously has a very limited appeal. I quite like the the quality of it, but I mean, I can't believe that somebody's actually spent the time to implement all of that stuff in C64 world, because I mean, I don't know how you'd actually get the samples in there. You'd need some sort of parallel or serial kind of communication. Um, This is probably the opposite end of the arranger side of things. I mean, is there... Is there any mileage in this? 
I mean, you, you said you want me to change the subject, Hans, and that's the only one I got left. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're going to have to. I think we already have a running time of more than one hour and fifteen minutes. Oh gosh, so we do. You, you, how 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 uh, excellent of you to point that out. So maybe we can leave that for a moment, if you. But if you want to check that out, um, uh, that's the Cubase sixty four on Commodore sixty four, and I'll pass it on. Uh, we'll pass on that for now. But yes, I, I'd, I'd lost the, I'd, I'd lost the time. Fantastic. We must be having such fun. So uh, well, probably a good point now then to uh, to say goodbye to our guests. And we'll go to you, Robbie, first, um, just so I can focus on your fabulous shiny lights. You said you were going to play something on your um, uh, polygamist or make it make some noise because I, okay. I can't I can't quite see how it how it actually makes any noise. It looks a bit like a Doctor Who. Oh, the lights are going on. Okay, let me um, let me let me give it a go. But it's it's been sitting here and it's the tuning probably horrendous. Oh, is it? So it's it's fully analog. Oh yes, it's fully analog. Fully unpredictable. Fully unpredictable and crazy. Wow. What sort of synthesis is it exactly? Because that sounds like a number of different things are going on there. Um, it's got three oscillators, but um, it's got some really weird stuff. Like the, the first oscillator's got a tilt. So you can tilt it between triangles and sawtooths and ramps. Um, the second oscillator's got like this pitch multiplying thing and you can you can boost all the different fundamentals and you get sort of weird sort of FM stuff. And um, yeah, it, it's just crazy. All the there's three LFOs and they all go to audio range and I oh, mean it's sounds, just sounds like great fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two be, of them uh, are down to four minutes or something for one waveform period. That's what minute, you, like, That's what you need, isn't it? That's what you need, like a four minute LFO wave. Yeah. Hand, hands, I'm detecting that you perhaps want to get off now. I, I, I think I think you're spent, aren't you? You've just kind of that's it. You've reached your you've reached your zenith. <laughs> But I want to say thank you very much for joining us, uh, non-Eric. Musotalk.de. Three weeks on the trot. I don't know what we've done to deserve your company. Things quiet in, in Berlin, or uh, or yes, no. <laughs> There's actually next door. Andre is actually just cutting a, a new video. Ah, okay. Uh, a comparison video uh, f uh, between the Air and iPad Four, and I'm happy that Gas uh, is happy now, and I wasn't totally wrong. No, I, I did actually look myself into the idea of selling my iPad 4, but I'd still have to pay another 100 odd quid, and I just thought, oh, I don't know if I could be bothered yeah. with that. But thank you very much for joining us. Non-EricMuserTalk.de, do check out his stuff. It really is well worth it. Um, even if you're not a German speaker, you can glean much information. So once again, thanks very much. And uh, we'll welcome. Also that, that's it. Great, thank you. And uh, Dave Spears, G4Software.com, thank you for lurking in the dark there with us. You know what? It's yeah, been so long since you've been on the show. I've never seen you like this. It, it, it's like we're now in in full because you've got that nice picture window there, which is there's just no light coming in. It's just pitch black. Gosh, like it is black, black as night. <laughs> and it's only twenty past five. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, um, Sonic four zero nine six in the chat room says uh, Sonic uh, four. Uh, uh, oh, it did. It's gone. It's gone past actually. Uh, Waldorf Pulse 2. Yes, I'm supposed to be getting one coming. Actually, it's supposed to be arriving here, so there will be a, a, a version of that. 
review coming up as soon as it arrives, so do hang in there. Uh, we'll also say thank you very much to Gaz Williams. And yes, your iPad has held up. Your Wi-Fi, more importantly, has held up, which is really interesting because normally that's the thing that lets, lets this kind of connection mm. down more than anything else. Yeah, but the, there's meant to be better antennas and stuff, isn't there, in the, the iPad Air? So I, I can't imagine. It's um, so small. Just a couple couple of things before I go. Um, this uh, this is a really cool little gadget that I u- used in a gig last week. It's uh, an Effectrode. It's a compressor. It's got a little tiny military valve inside, but it's an LA-2A in a pedal, and it sounds very nice. So that you know, for compressor freaks, it's almost like a, a holy grail, really. And uh, so oh, really? that's... How much? Yes. Uh, well, I got it secondhand for just a shade under 200 quid. So they're not cheap, but they're a lot cheaper than the LA-2A. But uh, I haven't tried it as a line out yet. I've only tried it with my bass and a guitar. But uh, I'm going to try it, put it as a an effect loop and just to see if you can get anywhere close to an LA-2A with it. But, um, nice. Yeah, um, and the other thing, and it's a little, it's a little ask really. Um, uh, the the surf band I, I play in, the Rumbelows, we've got an album which is gonna drop, I think, in a week or week or two, just waiting for the final masters. Uh, and we just after Facebook likes for the Rumbelows. So if anyone would be, he was on Facebook, if they can pop along and give us a like to okay. our. I, that's what the, the the band members have asked me to say on the show, so I hope you don't mind <laughs> no, me spamming out that little no, bit. No, go for it. Go for it. The, the rumble, so that's separate words, rumble, and then O, apostrophe S. Yeah, stick, some, stick, a, link, stick a link on your uh, gazwilliams.me blog as well, because then people will see that, and that's probably the easiest path to get through, and I think that's a fair enough way of doing it, but so go okay. go for it. Thanks very much, Gaz. And, of course, finally, um, Rob B. Bronneman there um, in Robot Studios. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you're, you're, you've, uh, we've popped a cherry for you tonight, I think, uh, in terms of Sonic Talk. Not in terms of uh, Sonic. You've been on Sonic before. We've done quite a lot for you in the past, so it's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, it's great. It's good fun. Uh, perhaps another time also. We, I'm going to have to get myself alert, some more computers and some more inputs because... Uh, because of the limit of the the four seat limit for the remote guests on the Skype system, but we'll we'll see what we can do. But so yeah, thank you very much, and I will fix your. Is your is the Twitter right or wrong? It's it's two ends in the middle and one end at the end. Right. Okay. And it's so so yeah. All right. Okay. I thought it was two ends both sides, and then I, everywhere I looked, it was one. So I thought so. I've been spelling it I wrong. Had, I had to unify it across Facebook and Twitter and stuff because because of the upper limit that Twitter decided to impose on the characters. Ah, okay. So you'd actually end up with kind of most of your 140 characters taken up just with... Just was saying your name. Yes. Probably, right. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, everybody. Um, that's uh, oh, I can do my. I, I think we might finish up on. Um, I'll play a couple more of these uh, uh, CS80 things. So thank you very much, everybody, for watching. And then I'm going to fade out to black with my special fade to black button.